this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host d sampath in may 2022 finland along with its nordic neighbor sweden applied for nato membership it took less than a year for it to formally become nato's 31st member which happened last week with this nato's border with russia has more than doubled from 1200 kilometers long to 2500 kilometers so how does this development change the security architecture of europe will it lead to a militarization of the russia finland border how big a strategic setback is this for russian president vladimir putin we explore all these questions and more in this episode of the in focus podcast and we have with us stanley johnny the hindus international affairs editor stanley thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me sambhav so stanley to start with uh, can you explain how finland overcame the hurdles to its nato membership application because we have read uh, in news reports earlier that uh, specifically turkey and hungary were opposing its membership so how did that get sorted Yeah, yeah, uh, Sambat. Yeah, initially Turkey and uh, Hungary had opposed to the membership. The main opposition came from Turkey. Uh, in the case of Hungary, Hungary was following Turkey's lead, and Hungary's problem was that the Finnish and Swedish governments were raising questions about its governance model, attacking its leadership within courts, etc., etc. But Turkey raised uh, graver issues, saying that Sweden and Finland were hosting terrorists, and uh, you know Turkey raised a a host of issues especially with regard to sweden so turkish turkish concerns were that uh, uh, you know several pkk uh, members pkk is the kurdistan workers party uh, which has been fighting the turkish state since 1984 uh, which has been designated as a terrorist organization by turkey european union the us etc etc uh, so turkey says several pkk members were based in sweden and finland and turkey also had a problem uh, with the arms sales embargo imposed by sweden and finland and turkey also said that sweden and finland should uh, have tighter anti terror laws etc etc and then last year in madrid they had a nato summit in which turkey raised these issues and then re- they reached some kind of an agreement as part of that uh, you know sweden and finland agreed to tighten their anti terror laws and turkey also wanted sweden particularly to extradite uh, pkk members what turkey calls terrorist members and sweden and finland also agreed to lift the arms embargo etc etc so there was some kind of an agreement last year between the two sides but turkey's major problem was with sweden sweden has a bigger kurdish diaspora uh, and sweden also has very good ties with YPG which is the militant arm of the Syrian Kurdistan uh, Turkey sees YPG as part of PKK uh, but YPG is the organization that fought the Islamic state inside Syria especially in the S- Syrian Kurdish region so YPG maintains very good ties with several western countries especially with Sweden so Turkey says this relationship between Sweden and YPG was a security threat to itself so there is no there is no issue of this kurdish uh, militancy uh, with regard to finland finland doesn't offer any support to the kurds and all that some 
Turkey said some PKK members were there, but major opposition was towards Sweden. Now, with regard to Finland, Turkey's main problem was the arms embargo, and also Turkey wanted some people to be extradited, etc., etc. And Finland agreed to lift the arms embargo, bring in legislative changes, but the main opposition was towards Sweden. After the Madrid Agreement, Turkey eventually decided to. Uh, you know, lift its veto on Finland. But then with regard to Sweden, there was an added problem. Sweden also recently witnessed protests, uh, Quran burning protests, uh, which Turkey sees as hate politics, hate campaigns. And uh, Turkey said that Quran shouldn't allow such kind of protests, but Sweden says it's freedom of speech. Uh, the state government cannot do much about it. Turkey also wants Sweden to extradite. Turkey has given a list of people to be extradited to Turkey, which Sweden says its uh, laws should not, doesn't, do not allow the uh, Swedish state to do this. So this has, you know, deteriorated ties between the two and also the elections are coming up in Turkey. So what the position Turkey has taken is that it would support Finland joining NATO, but not Sweden. And Hungary has so far taken the same line. It has also lifted its opposition towards Finland, but Sweden needs to be decided. So that opened, because all the other members in NATO, we have 30 members, right? So 28 other members had quickly ratified Finland's accession to NATO. And Turkey, I think in March, Turkish parliament unanimously voted. And a few days earlier, Hungarian parliament voted, majority of them voted in favor of uh, Finland joining NATO. So that just happened last week. Finland officially became the 31st member of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Right. So now with Finland uh, becoming the latest member, uh, it was it's, it, it used to be in this grey zone list of countries. Now that it's a NATO member, the border with uh, Russia for NATO has increased more than doubled. So will the Russia-Finland border see greater militarization now on both sides? So, Sana Marin, the outgoing Finnish Prime Minister, said recently, earlier this year, that Finland joining NATO is one thing, but Finland doesn't have any desire to host NATO military bases or nuclear weapons, NATO nuclear weapons, etc., etc. She said that is a national decision and we are not planning to do that. So, and the Russians also put in initially when Finland and Sweden applied for NATO membership, Putin said that Finland and Sweden joining NATO doesn't pose a major security threat to Russia. But the Russian response to Finland actually joining NATO was different. The Russian Defense Ministry has warned of countermeasures. We don't know what the countermeasures are. Russia said that it could move nuclear weapons to Kaliningrad, the Russian exclave in the Baltic area. But, uh, you know, the Baltic states are saying that Russia already has a nuclear weapons facility in Kaliningrad, and uh, Lithuania and Latvia recently said that Russia has always kept tactical nuclear weapons in the exclave. So we don't know what kind of uh, uh, you know countermeasures Russia is planning to do. But as of now, Finland has, won- Finland has ruled out hosting NATO military bases or NATO nuclear weapons, which seems to be a red line for President Putin. So, as of now, we don't see any, uh, you know, immediate possibility of 
the border between Russia and Finland, which is which runs into 1,340 kilometers to be weaponized. It is not an immediate possibility. Right. So, I mean, you're saying that Finland has said, the Sanaa Martin, outgoing PM, has said that uh, there won't be uh, any question of NATO military bases and nuclear weapons being hosted on Finnish soil. Now, I, I don't know, how, how does this work? So, if Finland gets all the benefit of NATO uh, protection, but in return, NATO doesn't get what it wants from Finland. They will just give protection just like that for free. I mean, usually they expect some kind of return in terms of being allowed to use Finnish territory for some military purposes, right? Why will they just give protection without anything in return? Yeah, it could be a long-term thing. We don't know. I mean, Im- immediately, Finnish government also doesn't want to, you know, provoke Russia beyond a point. So they might issue these statements, which doesn't mean that in the future, in the event of a crisis, NATO would not be able to do what it wants. It might be able to do what it wants in the future. But immediately, the Finnish government has ruled out. But from, if you look at it from NATO's point of view, what NATO gets out of it? What NATO gets out of it is that it has almost doubled its border with Russia. And that by doing that, NATO has sent a very clear message because two years earlier, everybody was talking about fractures within NATO. Turkey, your second largest military within the NATO alliance, was building a very strong relationship with Russia. And, you know, NATO, there were criticisms that NATO was losing its purpose because NATO is essentially a relic of the Cold War, which was built to counter the Soviet Union and the Soviet Union ceased to exist in 1990s, 1991. So there was this whole argument about NATO losing its purpose or growing friction within the alliance. But now you see NATO is expanding again. So NATO is expanding again and also NATO is further moving towards Russian border uh, and one of the reasons the Russians cited before going to the war was that they wanted to prevent Ukraine from becoming a member of NATO. And even now, you look at all talks about the possible future settlement between the Russians and the Ukrainians, and the Russians insist that Ukraine's neutrality is non-negotiable. But if this is the context, you see Finland becoming a NATO member Finland, a country with the 1,300 kilometer long border, becoming a NATO member, that's what NATO is getting out of this. Right. Now, coming to this whole uh, Finland's accession, now, before the Ukraine war, we knew that Finland was opposed to NATO membership, not just Finland as the government, but the public opinion was against NATO membership. Now, that changed after Russia invaded uh, Ukraine. So, uh, do you think there was a genuine threat or risk of Russian invasion that Finland faced, even with the Ukraine war, that it needed to address that threat through NATO membership? Or was it just this membership thing, a response to NATO's perceived need, as you just outlined, you know, to justify its existence, build a narrative and so on? How, how real is this threat of Russian expansionism that NATO keeps talking about? You no, know, Central Europe, Eastern Europe, those countries, I think, do the people there actually fear that Russia is going to invade them like it did Ukraine? I mean, how real is this threat? I don't think Finland is facing any immediate threat of a Russian attack. Even the Finnish president said, I mean, in an interview immediately after the Russian invasion began, he said that Finland doesn't face any immediate threat. And the Finnish president has very good ties with President Putin. Actually, one of the very few leaders in Europe who can still dial up and call President Putin is the Finnish president. But I think this is how it worked. Of course, this NATO's push to expand further, that is one thing. It is there. 
because by doing that, NATO could effectively disrupt Russia's security calculus. And secondly, I think, you know, there is this argument within Europe that after Georgia, Russian military intervention in Georgia in 2008, or the annexation of Crimea in 2014, or the the civil war in Donbass since 2014, which culminated in the Russian invasion uh, of uh, Ukraine in 2022. So both Georgia and Ukraine were not NATO members. So Finland, uh, you know, especially in the context of the Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine, uh, Finnish people, or rather the security calculus in Finland has changed because they see that Russia is doing this in non-NATO members. So they think that if they join NATO, with the collective protection of NATO, that would boost their deterrence against any possible future conflict with Russia. Because immediately, you know, at least in, at least since the end of the Second World War, Finnish-Russian relationship has been calm. But the past was different. Finland was part of Russian Empire for over 100 years. And then after Finland became independent in early 20th century, uh, in 1939, Finland was invaded by the Soviets, and then Finland joined hands with the Nazis to attack the Russians. You know, the, the history, they have a bloody history, both of them. So now, uh, when the security situation in Europe is again becoming uncertain, and, you know, with the Ukraine invasion, so Finland thinks that uh, joining NATO would boost its deterrence and provide it collective security of the West against any possible future tensions with Russia. I think this is what, I mean, both of these elements, on the one side, NATO, of course, wants to expand further towards Russian territory, as also as a response to Russia, Russia's uh, military aggression in Ukraine. And on the other side, Finland, jolted by the war in Ukraine, thinks that joining NATO would further boost its deterrence against a potential, against a future possible conflict with Russia. So I think both of this uh, work together that led Finland to take the NATO membership. Right. So this Finland's joining NATO, it leaves Europe with very, very few countries. I think Austria and maybe Serbia, Moldova or whatever, Cyprus. You know, very few countries who are not part of uh, NATO are left in Europe. So I was just wondering, how does this affect the security architecture in Europe? I mean, especially with regard to the dynamic between the EU and the US, uh, given that the EU's entire uh, strategic autonomy, especially from on the military side, is, is almost dissipated completely. It's um, completely dependent on Washington now. You know, I think Macron also spoke about the importance of re- retaining some strategic autonomy. It's not just going to be working purely on the on the strength of your economic progress or whatever. So, how do you see this affecting EU's strategic autonomy with regard to Washington DC and even also otherwise? I think Europe is divided. There is a section within Europe that sees the United States as their natural leader. And for them, NATO is the answer to what they see Russian attempt to reshape Europe. Is there a regional, uh, do you see a regional pattern in terms of which countries see US as a natural ally and leader and so on? And which don't? Most East European countries. So you talk to Poland, even if you talk to some diplomats in you know, Germany, so they think that Russia's ultimate goal is to push the US out of the continent and to reshape the security architecture. So for them, US is their natural leader. But at the same time, there are big powers in Europe. For example, even 
France. I mean, that's what uh, Macron's interview you were talking about. So they see that, as Mac, if I quote Macron, they see that Europe is getting caught in the conflicts that are not ours. So then Europe's strategic autonomy is being compromised. So for them, Europe has to achieve its strategic autonomy and take decisions that would benefit its interests. But that's not the case uh, with some other countries in Europe. So I think Europe is essentially divided in this case. And for the United States, NATO's expansion is, uh, you know, somehow, uh, you know, that which that means Europe would stay tied to America's interests. Interest. So that's what we, we saw throughout this conflict. Of course, the United States played a major role in bolstering Ukrainian uh, resistance against the Russian invasion. But at the same time, uh, you see countries like Germany or others, they are not even able to raise a question about, for example, who bombed Nord Stream pipeline. Nobody wants to know about it. And uh, Germany and France tried to uh, avert this war uh, through the Minsk agreement before the war actually took place, but they failed. Right? The US strategy of arming Ukraine or prolonging the conflict in Donbass, that contributed to the Russian invasion uh, last year. So I think uh, from an American point of view, the expansion of NATO serves America's interests in Europe because the United States needs to keep Europe under its tight grip, not only to contain Russia, but also in its competition with China. Whereas the major powers in Western Europe, for example, you know, France, or to a certain extent, Germany, they think because they think themselves uh, as natural leaders of Europe, and they want Europe to attain some kind of autonomy. So this division is always there. But then the problem is that, you know, they also, you know, once they are part of NATO, NATO is a transatlantic security nuclear alliance. They call it a defensive alliance, but it is a larger security nuclear alliance. Once you are part of NATO, it's difficult to assert your own strategic autonomy. The decisions would be taken collectively, and collectively means the most important player in the alliance would take the decisions or will have a, an upper hand, will have a sway over decisions, which is the United States. The United States is the leader of NATO. Everybody knows that. So uh, this, this is how it works. The European security architecture is now being strengthened further in favor of the United States through the expansion of NATO. And sections of the European community are welcoming this, while some others are actually worried about the further erosion of strategic autonomy. Right. I mean, you just made this point about, you know, once you're part of NATO, you're part of a collective and and the collective is headed by the US and you can't really act independently. Would you say Turkey is an exception to this because it seems to be acting pretty independently, buying S-400 from Russia and whatnot? Yeah, to a certain extent, Turkey is also doing that. But Turkey is doing a very difficult balancing act because they bought S-400 from Russia. But at the same time, Turkey is also supplying weapons to Ukraine. Turkey can't completely stay away from that. And Turkey raised objections to Sweden and Finland uh, joining NATO, but which is effectively to extract some compromises from them. And Turkey has already agreed to Finland. And I think, if you ask me, I think Turkey will have to agree to Sweden joining NATO because Turkey also doesn't have that Turkey can delay it, of course, but I don't think Turkey can veto it. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so Turkey might be delaying it because May 14th is uh, Turkey is going into polls and Erdogan needs something to campaign on. 
so he doesn't want to look weak before the elections actually take place so that's why he is uh, delaying it but that would eventually happen so when it comes to decision making i mean they they would try to use the space they have little space they have for maneuvering but eventually they will have to toe the line and take the case of germany germany is europe's largest economy right and it is the engine of european economy it's a very important player it's a very powerful country on the paper and germany resisted till the last moment you know pressure from the west to send advanced tanks to ukraine uh, but finally germany had to cave in and the public opinion in germany is also against germany sending advanced weapons to offensive weapons to ukraine but germany caved into pressure and nord stream was partly owned by germany the whole idea of nord stream is uh, for germany to get cheap oil cheap sorry cheap gas natural gas from russia that would help german industry and germany is as i said this the economic engine of europe it makes sense for germany to get to continue to get uh, cheap gas from russia but nord stream was one one pipeline was shut by the german government and other pipeline was bombed by nobody knows who actually did it there are you know different theories and even germany doesn't seem to want to know who did it so is this how a country with strategic autonomy behaves oh, i don't think so so these are the issues you face but at the same time you can also say that germany is a nato member or poland is a nato member latvia lithuania estonia are nato members now finland is a nato member so they also enjoy the collective protection of nato because they can trigger the article if they come under attack so that the united states is bound by this uh, uh, by nato treaty to come to their defense so that is the advantage of uh, so so in other words i mean can we say then that the german people are paying a higher price for energy essentially because nato needs to fulfill its strategic objectives in europe i mean that that seems to be the equation here yeah i think uh, pretty much uh, you look at the european economy european economy has taken a massive hit ever since the war broke out and they are not able to i mean in their push to punish russia they are basically punishing themselves which is unfolding before us governments keep falling in europe right now coming to the russian perspective here so how big a strategic setback is this for putin not not purely only in terms of uh, geopolitics and you know so on but also domestically you know given as you said earlier briefly it sort of directly repudiates his logic for invading ukraine which is no more eastward expansion of nato and protecting russia's sphere of influence and so on now that's exactly the opposite has happened so is this like a egg on the face for putin yeah this is a major setback for putin no doubt about it so there were different theories about different setbacks putin has suffered ever since the war began we know that russia's military advances were slow uh, but russia still controls 17% of ukrainian territory and as we discussed bakhmut has almost fallen and we also know that uh, uh, the americans and the west tried to punish russia through economic sanctions but it hasn't worked completely totally in favor of the west because first of all it is hurting everybody and putin is using that to build a new eurasian partnership with china and other countries but when it comes to nato's expansion that is a clear setback it doesn't have two sides because finland's neutrality was not a gift to the soviet union's great power status finland's neutrality was a hard earned one by the soviets in 1939 stalin invaded finland 
and the war didn't go on as he expected, like the case of the Russian invasion of Ukraine of 2022. And the Finnish people resisted very well against the Soviets. But Stalin had the Soviet troops regrouped and further inflicted damages on, on the Finns and extracted territorial concessions from Finland. And, but Finland joined hands with the Nazis in the 1940s. And then they attacked the Soviets again. And the Soviet Union had to fight you know, on multiple fronts in the Second World War. And peace returned to the Soviet-Finnish border, which is such a long border, only after the Nazis were defeated in the Second World War. So the Soviets had to pay a great price for a neutral Finland, for peace on the border through two wars. And the peace stayed throughout the Cold War and even after the Cold War. After the Cold War, Finland you know, expanded its ties with NATO, but stopped short of joining NATO, stopped short of formally becoming a NATO member out of concerns of provoking Russia. But the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it did two things. Firstly, it deepened the security concerns of Finland. And secondly, when Russia got stuck in Ukraine, that opened opportunities for Finland to explore the avenues which it till then shunned. Because it was worried about possible, possibly provoking Russia in the past. But now it knows, Finland knows that Russia is stuck in Ukraine. So even if this is the time, this is the chance for us to take the NATO membership, if at all we are taking NATO membership because Russia's hands are tied in Ukraine. So first of all, it deepened their security concerns. And secondly, it offered a window of opportunity for them to join NATO without uh, triggering provocative responses from the Russians. So the Finns just seized the opportunity. That's what they did. So from the Russian point of view, neutrality, which the Russia, Finnish neutrality, which the Russians attained through conflicts in the past, and they are losing it. And they see NATO, and NATO expansion is a problem, irrespective of what the Russians say, because from the 1990s, this has driven Russia's security concerns and Russia's foreign policy calculations. So the Russians see that is ha that happening again. So it is clearly a setback. And then, you know, this also validates this argument that, you know, the Russians had always said that NATO's expansion, NATO keeps expanding, which is deepening their security concerns. And the smaller European countries in, the, in, in Eastern Europe say that uh, Russia's responses to NATO expansion is further imperiling their security concerns. This is cyclical. So NATO expanding on the one side, which is forcing Russia to take aggressive measures, and Russia's aggression is again prompting other smaller countries in the periphery to turn to NATO. So this is kind of a cyclical, I know this is a vicious cycle, which is unfolding before us once again. Right. It is uh, definitely a vicious second. It also reminded me a bit of what China has been saying. I know I mean, China has its own reasons for saying what it does. Uh, but it does say that this whole issue of this whole thing of block politics, you know, you make a block of countries who are part of your security uh, uh, network or whatever alliance. And then other your rivals are supposed to or sort of then 
they are then encouraged or they feel compelled to form their own block and then you again go back all the way to the cold block i mean can't you have a world without these blocks of countries or nato or warsaw pact or whatever you know different now you have this aukus and you know quad and this us is going around making this blocks everywhere and china has been critical of it i don't know what you make of that criticism uh, is it needed these blocks or can we have a different imagination uh, for producing um, for ensuring your security interests i don't know you know maybe you know blocks it is it is a cold war tactic uh, because there were different blocks throughout the cold war and the united states is uh, clearly pursuing the same strategy uh, even in the post cold war world because otherwise nato nato is a cold war product but nato continued to exist and uh, as you pointed out yes the us is trying to build new blocks but you know the response what china would do to these blocks is also Uh, we have to see once the security competition between the united states and china heats up further how china is going to respond to it is also uh, interesting to watch right that's probably a topic for another podcast one last question stanley before we wrap up so this finland uh, finland's membership of nato uh, you've talked about uh, the various concerns in with regard to russia but i was just wondering is it also about the west's competition with russia over resources of the arctic because finland is very strategically positioned in the baltic uh, region and the arctic area with global warming you know the icebergs uh, melting ice caps melting and so on is there going to be a race for exploiting the arctic and is finland therefore uh, being a part of the west a, a, a critical thing because russian military presence in that region is also pretty high yes yes that is i think uh, that is one of the factors of uh, Uh, or that is one of the advantages the west is going to get once finland joins nato because, because there is uh, strong competition taking place in the arctic and russia has the resources in the arctic arctic ocean and russia has established itself uh, you know it has a major presence uh, in the region so with finland uh, becoming the 31st nato member definitely that is going to uh, open more opportunities for the west so basically i think uh, finland is also the seventh baltic country to join nato so baltic is the baltic sea is effectively turned into a nato pool right now and the russians knew this that's why they i mean one of the reasons the russians is doing what they are doing in ukraine is that they don't want the black sea to have the same fate so the baltic in the baltic ocean nato has effectively established its dominance after finland and if sweden joins in the future that would be turned into a nato pool and the next arena of competition would definitely be the arctic where russia has established itself as a major power and finland would offer more opportunities for the west to exploit the arctic and compete with the russians in that space right with with the baltic already all the countries part of nato and then we we know what's happening in the black sea and now with the arctic uh, competition happening it, it does uh, i mean if 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 putin was thinking about it maybe he would imagine that there is some kind of encirclement happening also with this ex- expansion of the uh, land border with nato anyway we'll talk about that probably in another podcast thank you so much stanley for joining us and for sharing your thoughts and very illuminating insights as always thank you so much thank you sambhat pleasure in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues 
In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.